Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all on this Tuesday, uh, September 1st of 2020. Yes, you heard it right. We are already entering into September, and um, we are we understand how much time has been flying. The days have been going faster. It was just a few months ago we began uh to do these podcasts on a regular basis uh started in March and here we are almost almost 7 months almost 7 months after and we are still deciphering the times and we have seen a change in our world and um today we just want to welcome you we want to welcome our listeners from wherever you find yourself in we thank you for tuning in and and making us part of your uh of your day as we come together and fellowship in the Word of God. One thing that I believe, as I was meditating today, that is very unique in this hour, um, is the is the way in which we are coming to you through these podcasts. You know, as, as much as we believe in dreams and visions and we believe God speaks like that, we believe that uh, we're coming to you from the Word of God first. And I think yeah. every that's the way it should be. It should be, you know, uh, visions and dreams. That's mostly what you hear people say, you know, hey, so many people are having visions today and dreams. And and not to say that none of them are from, they're not from God. I believe some of them are truly from God. But we cannot base anything just on that. We always have to go back to the word of God. So what I'm trying to tell you is that what we're telling to you, what we're telling you has its basis not on a dream or a vision, it has its basis on the Word of God. And that's what we're trying to do, and that's what we've been trying to do, is to decipher what God is saying. And I believe that God is speaking in a very clear manner to us. So I pray that that uh, that, that you can understand our hearts and, and the perspective that we bring to you is, uh, is from directly from the Word of God. Well, without further ado, we're going to get into the Word of God today. And today in our panel, we have Brother Marty, uh, Brother Fernando, and we have Brother Jeremiah joining us today, too. And we are so grateful, as always, to be able to study the Word of God together in such a time like this. So, Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart and and um, and, and and take it from here and share that what you sense in your spirit to share as we study the Word of God together. Amen. Looking forward to another podcast today. As Brother Jeremy said, we've crossed over into September. We're headed on the other side of the mountain back down towards the last four months of the year. And as we've been doing, we're continuing to look at what is actually transpiring, what is happening in our time, and how they relate to us, and how we're to appropriately respond uh, by the Spirit of the Living God. Yesterday we discussed uh, in the Book of Jeremiah uh, our continuing reflections on what was taking place up underneath the generation of His wrath, uh, a generation that would experience the outpouring of God's judgment upon it, the wrath of God really, which would destroy Solomon's temple, burn Jerusalem to the ground, many losing their lives because of the rebellion and the refusal to submit to the prophetic word of God as it was revealed to them by the prophets over centuries of time. Prior to that, we we explored the captivity. A group of people 
had revealed to them by the prophet Jeremiah through the word of God exactly what it was that they were experiencing and how they were supposed to respond to it. And from those things and other scriptures, we learned that we were to study those things, especially as we entered into prophetic times, so that we could glean from what happened to them uh, exactly, um, you know, the kinds of things that we might need to be looking for and how we are to respond during those times. And we concluded our podcast yesterday in uh, Psalm 137, and we got to verse 1 and 2. Uh, where the captivity was now uh, well in place and how the Spirit of God was beginning to work on them. And we're going to pick that up again tomorrow. Uh, Today I felt in my time with the Lord, the Holy Spirit uh, directing me in a different path, not different in in concept or idea, but uh, in another portion of Scripture that I felt uh, uh, by the Word of God and by the, the leading of the Spirit that we need to look at um and and that's what we're going to do today uh we will continue if the lord allows uh in the coming days to look at that prophecy because there's a prophecy in psalm 137 uh, where it says that they hung their harps on the willow trees in the midst of the willow trees and we we called it the prophecy of the willow trees because there's a prophecy there we're going to look at that lord willing in the coming days uh, but as for today We're going to look at some things that happened just before uh, Calvary and the resurrection, because they're very much um, things that happened and transpired uh, that that pertain to uh, much of the kinds of things that we are going to see just ahead of us and what what is happening even now. We were commanded by the prophets to study these things. Uh, The Apostle Peter telling us to go back and reflect on on prophetic times and prophetic writings, and and it's with that same spirit and leading of the Holy Spirit we pray that we're, that we're going to explore our subject today. And so I'm going to have Brother Jeremy begin reading for us, if if he would, uh, the the first uh, three verses of Matthew 16, and then uh, and then read and then read to us, Brother Jeremy, uh, verse 12 as well, would you? In Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. The Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, But can ye not discern the signs of the times? Verse 12. Then understood they how that he had, how he bade them not. Excuse me, let me read that again. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Very interesting because he ties the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to the Pharisees and the Sadducees' inability to discern the signs of the times. And and what emerged was a particular doctrine uh, that was uh, present at precisely the time that they needed clear understanding of what was actually happening and what just lied ahead of them. They couldn't see it. We're going to look at that in a second, but uh, 
uh, we want to talk about because over the last several months, really, we've been seeing uh, much transpire and, and, and we've been seeking answers for the times that we find ourselves living in so much rapid change, you know, we've been experiencing. And as, a, as the church, uh, we are experiencing prophetic times, but most uh, really don't seem to be discerning what's actually happening yet. Not yet, at least. But as we've continued progressing through the year 2020, as we've seen, many opinions are coming forth, many thoughts have been expressed, and really voices, uh, and, and a lot of voices of so-called spiritual leadership in the church uh, really have brought no light. We have false prophecies given, dreams, visions, like Brother Jeremy was talking about, but really no light as to as to what's actually happening. And like Brother Jeremy was just reading and what we can see from what he was just reading, what we're experiencing really isn't new. In the time of the Lord's first appearing, it was very much the same. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees had their opinion. And as we're going to see, uh, so did the Lord's own disciples. But both of them were wrong. And I want to ask the question, is history repeating itself? I think it is. Yes. And and as we go forward, I think the Lord will make this even more and more apparent to those who are truly seeking him. Remember what the Apostle Paul said concerning prophetic times for the end time generation, that that that, that time, that day should not take us unaware. And, and, and we're going to find... Uh, that much is happening, and I think the scriptures today will reveal that to us. Let's take a look and see what we can see by God's grace, okay? So, like we were saying, in the last several podcasts, we've been studying the book of Jeremiah, looking for, uh, looking to understand the prophetic patterns for our times. And in our studies over the last several podcasts, if you're just joining us, we encourage you to go over to the last several that we've done and and and, and catch up to what we're saying here. But as we were just, uh, you know, searching the scriptures for the things that we're seeking to understand, we came to Isaiah chapter 6 last week, and uh, where we saw that the Lord revealed to Isaiah uh, that there would be three specific outpourings of the wrath of God, uh, which in Isaiah's times uh, would and were yet going to happen. And 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 when we were discovering that, we we we've actually come to understand that two of those outpourings of the wrath of God have already happened, and that there is one that remains. And right, the first one that occurred was when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, and that was interestingly in the summer of 587 BC. It was in the month of Av, the ninth of Av, the infamous day of the ninth of Av. And the second outpouring of the wrath of God occurred when Titus destroyed Jerusalem, again, in the summer of 70 AD. It, too, occurred on the ninth of Av. That's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, that God's timing is, is yeah. incredible. Both outpourings of his wrath occurred on the ninth of Av in 587 B.C. and in 70 A.D. And what is interesting to note 
just something to think about <laughs> as I've been studying these things really over the last several weeks, but just something to think about was uh, what came to be known in AD 70, just before this outpouring of the wrath, one of the characteristics that triggered uh, the Romans coming down several years later and ultimately destroying Jerusalem, it, it, it's known as the Jerusalem riots. Mm. <laughs> it, wow. It, I know, right? It started with riots uh, in, in, the, in the year. In, and you can look that up, any of you. You know, it's not that hard. But it, it, those riots actually occurred in, in 66 AD. And they continued up until the destruction of Jerusalem. They grew to the point, the riots grew to the point that, that Rome began to pay attention to them. And, they all, and, and guess when those riots really began to flourish? When they really began to to kick up and become crazy, right? September 66 oh, AD. <laughs> 66 <laughs> AD. All right. Yes. <laughs> so I just man. throwing it out there, man. So because many point to these riots as being the catalyst that was ultimately going to lead to Jerusalem's predicted wrath, the wrath that would come. It's interesting to me, you know, because we look for for uh you know the the similar things and, and one of the things that that ultimately brought about this prophetic destruction of the outpouring of the wrath it, it began with riots many things led up to it but it was the riots they say according to historical accounts that began to trigger the ultimate downfall and the final outpouring of the wrath of god something that jesus by the way as we know predicted in matthew 24 right in the olivet discourse when he said that not one stone would be left upon another so anyway, the, the scriptures tell us that there's yet one generation of wrath uh, that remains. And I believe that we are that generation. Not just because we have a feeling about it or <laughs> we sense it or something like that, but, but because the prophecies predicted in the scriptures concerning the final generation are coming to pass. And they're happening now at an accelerated rate. So let, let's look briefly at the times just before uh, when the Lord was nearing the end of his first appearance, his first earthly ministry, um, so that we can see some things and glean some things about what I think the Spirit is, is warning us about. Uh, you know, there's a little historic background there of the generations of his wrath that are really interesting because like we talked about before, when the captivity occurred, and we've been talking about the separation of God taking a people out of a people, as he's doing right now, one of the interesting things about the historic background is that just before the first outpouring of his wrath on Judah and the destruction of the Temple of Solomon, Jerusalem, and so forth and so on, we see that uh, there was uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and in Jerusalem, there was a ruling corrupt national religious elite. Both were simultaneously existing. And and in the time of A.D. 70, when Jerusalem was destroyed, again, you have a Caesar and a Roman Empire this time. And, and in Jerusalem, you have a politically connected religious elite. Very interesting how that they meshed themselves uh, with politics in order to ensure their survival. It ultimately led to their downfall. And what's interesting is that both were generations that were controlled by the rise of the global state and, and a single leader 
And as we've explored in the past, you know, this is a foreshadow of the Antichrist and and his predicted global system, which has been foretold for the end time generation, which which we believe is already taking place. We're seeing it now. What we're experiencing now is 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 the rise, and and it's well along in its uh, in its uh, framework of a global reset. They're calling it of a of a global uh, you know shift. Um, and, and what's standing in the way right now, really, <laughs> is is this country, and, uh, and and that's what what we're watching really transpire before our eyes is is the globe uh, the global elite the controlled by the antichrist spirit is is doing everything they can to pull out all the stops and and to cause what we're seeing uh, right before our eyes to, to come forth in its fullness. Uh, you know, let's take a look at again what Brother Jeremy just read. Can you read that again to us, Brother Jeremy, uh, in verse uh, one through three of Matthew sixteen? Yes, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Lowering, O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Can ye not discern the signs of the times? So, brother, you know, whenever you feel that, just jump in here, because this is what we're going to begin to hone in on right now. Again, uh, we've been discussing the generation that experienced the first outpouring of God's wrath. We believe there's three that were predicted. That occurred in 587 B.C. under the foreshadow of the Antichrist, Nebuchadnezzar, and a a global state of that day, which was the Babylonian Empire. The second generation is what we're exploring now to gain even more insight for our times. This is the second generation. The Lord is is really just a a few... uh, weeks from his from his mission which was to suffer on calvary and then experience the resurrection from the dead Uh, this is what it was leading to but up underneath this um the the generation of that time was being dealt with and they were looking for something other than what it was god was revealing was coming to pass what the lord uh, what they began to ask him and, and what and what they began to question was his his appearance, his his, uh, his mission, his his authority to do what he was doing. And really, the Sadducees and the Pharisees that are mentioned here in verse one, they are the ruling. Again, we talk about a national uh, ministry here. We're talking about the caretakers. Uh, so-called uh, uh, of the religion of their day of Judaism, they were the 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 the, the, the movers and the shakers in the religious world, strongly tied to uh, to political power. It's what ensured their protection. Fully compromised and fully corrupt, and when they come to the Lord, it says that they they were testing him and desiring that he would show them some sort of sign 
you know, which is really interesting to me because what the Lord says, uh, you know, you cannot discern the signs of the times. And and I feel you all coming with me now, but but now I want you to, to really focus on this right now because that's what we're talking about. You know, this is the second generation that would experience the outpouring of his wrath. Wrath was just ahead of them. There were other things that needed to happen before they came to that ultimate conclusion when Jerusalem would be destroyed again the second time. But again, remember, when we look back on it, these are foreshadows of what is the ultimate expression of the wrath of God, which we believe is just ahead of us in the, in the next several years, quite possibly. And so we look for the same kinds of characteristics and the same attitudes to be manifest at the time. See, what they wanted was 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 something... Uh, some miraculous sign to be done in front of their faces. They were looking for signs and wonders. But the truth of the matter is, is that God had been giving them signs all along. If if you can see it, you know, if it, it, which they could not. It's kind of absurd when you think about it, right? Because, you know, Jesus is about 32 years old here, maybe 33 years old when they come to him. And But the signs of his appearing had already been transpiring well before this point when they come to him and ask him for a sign. We know from the scripture that that the signs actually began uh, <laughs> in the temple in Luke chapter 1, right? Where, where we see there that after 400 years of having no signs, suddenly the gospels open up and in, in Luke's account, there's an account of, of Zacharias uh, the priest going into the holy place and burning incense before God, and he had a visitation from the archangel Gabriel. And in that visitation, Gabriel began to uh, reveal to him that the time had come, that John the Baptist was about to be born, and as a matter of fact, he was going to be his son, and that he was going to carry with him the spirit and the power of Elijah upon his ministry and that his specific ministry and mission was going to be brief, powerful, but it was going to be uh, specifically designed to make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord, that the Messiah was coming. So the first sign that was given was given amongst the ruling elite in the very temple itself in Jerusalem, because we're told in Luke chapter 1 that when he came out of the holy place, right, he, uh, he couldn't speak. That God shut his mouth because he really didn't believe what was coming. But but if you go and, and read the historical accounts, when he came out, the, what happened to him circulated amongst the priesthood and amongst the elite. Remember, uh, Zechariah was of the house of Aaron. And, and some believe that he was actually in line to be the high priest, but because of the corruption of the religious establishment by that point, the high priest's office was bought and sold by the politically well-connected, which is how Annas and Caiaphas came to be the high priests of that day. And so there was a lot of political and religious intrigue at a national level. But the very first sign that was given, my point being, is that the angel Gabriel had appeared and rumor had appeared that some sort of phenomenon had taken place. And in fact, uh, the old man can't even talk anymore. He's been completely struck with with the inability to speak. So that was the very first time that began to happen amongst amongst them. So when they come to Jesus some 32 years later and they begin to claim that they, they want a sign, 
basically they were not discerning the signs that had been given to them all along. We could go from there and talk about um, <laughs> how that that uh, that Jerusalem after the birth of Jesus, when he was about uh, you know before he was born, that there were signs in the heavens that were occurring amongst the stars. Um, you know, we talk about the sign in the heaven uh, that the Magi would come looking for Jesus about a year and a half after he was born. Uh, they followed those stars. Uh, they they saw all the way, which is interesting if you think about it, right, brothers? Because where they saw the stars and where they originated, uh, you know, their journey to Bethlehem to go find the, the, the Lord uh, or Nazareth, actually, I think is where they came to. Or was it Bethlehem? I can't remember. He was born in Bethlehem, living in Nazareth by the time that they came, but, um, and living in a house, but where they saw the signs was in Babylon, which is really interesting, right? Uh, because that is where right. the first, right. The first wrath was poured out was in Babylon, uh, it, 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 where they were carried off to was into Babylon after the first wrath was poured out on Jerusalem. And it's in Babylon that they saw the signs and, and they set on, on a journey to come look for the, for the new King that was born. So, we know from the account that when they came into the city of Jerusalem, it says that the whole city was shaken. Let's look at that, because I can't assume everybody knows what we're talking about. Look at, uh, where is that, Brother Jeremy, and where they come into the city? Is it in Matthew or Luke? Uh, it's Matthew. Matthew, Matthew. Yeah, it's in Matthew chapter 2. Yeah, that's what uh, The okay. visit of the wise men? Yeah. Let's take a look at that. Read a little bit there. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Just start with verse 1. Yeah. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And he had gathered, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And Check that thou, out. Bethlehem. Check that out. They, they that? knew the prophetic scriptures, right? Yes, yes. Right? And here you've got this mm -hmm. contingent of people coming all the way from Babylon in the east. And they come to the king. Well, first of all, you don't just walk up to King Herod and go to his palace, right? I mean, these were some elite dude <laughs> to put it in modern language these are the magi yeah. you know when we see the christmas story it's a little inaccurate you know when they show the the wise men showing up to the stables because that's not where they showed up they actually showed up and saw a year and a half old jesus in the house he wasn't in a stable he was already about a year and a half years old uh which we can see in a minute here but but the point is is that that they came and and they came to uh bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod, and there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So they came to Jerusalem first, the capital city, and they have access to the king. The reason being, because if you do a little study on the Magi, these were uh, the the uh, 
you know, the mystery men of the East, they were the, they were the Chaldeans, they were the Magi, they were the soothsayers. They are the descendants of the people that the prophet Daniel saved when Nebuchadnezzar wanted to destroy all the wise men of Babylon because uh, they couldn't interpret his dream. And so when Daniel was given the revelation by God of, of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, their lives were spared and he became legendary amongst this group of, I guess you would call them the magicians, the astronomers, not just astrologers, but astronomers of their day, highly educated in the sciences, mathematics, philosophy, and go down the list of whatever subject you want to name. They were the elite of the elite in that genre of thought. And so the, the, that's who comes into Jerusalem all these years later. They're their descendants. They highly revered the writings of Daniel. And they knew by Daniel's writings uh, when or around the time that the Messiah would be coming. And so they were watching the heavens and they saw these stars uh, and, and these celestial events that triggered them uh, to alert them that, that the king of the Jews, the Messiah that had been prophesied was about to be born. And so they come across the sands and they make it to Jerusalem and and it shook up the whole city. And they said what they saw in verse 2, what you just read. We've seen his star, his star. We've come to worship him. And, and the king, it says in verse 3, and then it says all Jerusalem, not just a few guys, right? All of Jerusalem was troubled uh, with the king when they heard these things. Now, when the Magi came into the city, remember, these men, uh, it wasn't just three guys. I've read many accounts, historic accounts, and how they traveled. What, what really troubled Herod, besides the fact that these, these very regal and, and magnificent to behold men came into the city, there was quite possibly as many, anywhere from, I've read estimates from 800 to, to 1,500 people that came. And, and, and the actual magi would wear these brilliantly white garments. And they would travel and always do homage whenever there was a new king that was being crowned. They would show up and, 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 and lend their, their blessings, so to speak. So when they came into Jerusalem, you have a contingent of, of very, very wealthy men uh, who are centuries old in their own tradition, well-known throughout the Middle East, claiming to have seen a celestial event, and they shake up the entire city of Jerusalem with access to the king, to the royal dynasty of the Hasmoneans, which is what, what Herod was. And this is why it troubled him specifically. And then when what he does in verse 4, what you just read here, Brother Jeremy, is he calls for the chief priests. That's the ruling national religious elite from the temple and the scribes. And he asked them, where is where's this king supposed to be born? And they quote the prophetic scriptures to him. Read verse 6 and 7, would you? And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the prince of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Right. So, so now he's inquiring of them. And again, this is a celestial event. So what's interesting is that by the time like we started out reading here in Matthew 16, when these Pharisees and Sadducees 
you know, come to Jesus asking him for a sign, it is because of the hardness of their heart. He didn't fit with their doctrine of the signs of the times. Even though they had been, been given, they had been, been given signs all the way back what we're looking at right here. And, and they knew where he was going to be born. They knew that it was written in the prophets. And you might as well just finish it out, Brother Jeremy, and, uh, and read us uh, verse 8 through 11. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search di diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Incredible. So what we see here, just quickly, we're, we're not, we weren't intending to do the Christmas story here, but but uh, <laughs> it's been come to be known here. But look at some of the things that we notice in verse 8. First of all, he's a young child, right? He's living in Bethlehem, but he's a young child. He's not a baby. So this kind of like throws away our Christmas traditions, right? When we see the stable and the wise men are at the stable. He wasn't, that's not where they went. He wasn't a baby when they came. He was about a year and a half old or so. And so they come and see the young child. And when they come to him, notice again in verse 11, uh, it's not into the stable. They actually have a house now, right? And then when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child and 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 with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This, what an incredible thing. So, again, my point is, can you imagine these guys showing up into Bethlehem just as a little side talk? Their appearance in Jerusalem, the capital city, shakes the whole city. How how about Bethlehem, man? That's like coming over mm -hmm. to a, that's right. That's, that's that's like going to Tijuana or something. <laughs> they showed up. You know, it's like the landing airplane. <laughs> Right, like landing Air Force One at Bermuda Dunes Airport or something. I don't know. I mean, this is this is, this shook up the city, right? So there we have another sign. You know, they had signs, and yet they're asking him for signs. And let's just look at this last sign here. I think it's the sign in 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 Luke, uh, was it Luke chapter? Uh, let's see, verse forty-two. Would you read there in Luke chapter uh, chapter two, brother Jeremy? We hope you have your Bibles and, and you're following along with us. I think this is an interesting study and where we're headed. So, yeah, yeah let's 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 just look at Luke chapter two. Uh, let's start here in verse uh, twenty-five and and uh, through twenty-seven. Two twenty-five through twenty. We're talking about the signs. Why were they asking him for a sign? He's like, look, really, you've been being given signs for years. Take a look at this. Read it in verse 25 through 27, would you, Brother Jeremy? And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he, he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law. Go ahead and read through verse 32, would you? Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Incredible. So here's another sign. You know, they're presenting Jesus at eight days old in, in the temple in Jerusalem. And here comes Simeon. He's known as Simeon. I think he's called Simeon the Just. Again, there's other people here that say that, that he was a, a, a holy man who, had, who was not functioning in the position that he was meant to function in because of the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the priest Annas and Caiaphas. They were basically ruling the temple, but he was highly respected a godly man, and he comes into this holy ceremony as they're circumcising the Lord, as the Lord is fulfilling the covenant of Abraham at eight days old to be circumcised. He comes in by the Spirit in verse 26, it says, and and then he, he takes Jesus out of the arms, <laughs> out of their arms, and, and, and he holds him and lifts him up, and then he begins to prophesy over it. And he begins to say, this is the salvation of Israel. And he's also the light to the Gentiles. He was quoting Isaiah. <laughs> he's quoting Isaiah. So, I mean, he's, he's highly respected. So what he does, is it, they take note. And he interrupts the holy ceremony, surrounded by priests and rabbis, or, you know, that are doing this ceremony. And, and you know, they, you know, anything that was out of the norm, it got the attention of the leadership, right? So here's another sign. Here's a baby. That's <laughs> being called, uh, you know, the the salvation of Israel. He calls him the the Lord's Christ. He calls him, uh, you know, the the light to the Gentiles. He's he's attributing messianic prophecies to this eight day old child from this couple from Bethlehem. Incredible, another sign. And then we have uh, we have Anna who comes in and 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 she goes around preaching to everybody that she's seen the redemption. But then. It accelerates us and, and takes us to where Jesus is 12 years old. And and, uh, and can you uh, can you read that, Brother Jeremy, when uh, verse 41 through, through 47? Yes. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, is that what you're talking about? Two, yes. 41. Okay. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they, re as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their king's folk and acquaintance. And they found him not. They, when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass, 
that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. <laughs> so you want a sign? You have a 12-year-old boy confounding the doctors of the law in the temple in Jerusalem. Another sign. You know, th this they paid attention to this young man. Uh, those that were there took note. They followed him. And from that point on, he goes away, and he, he's gone for about 18 years, right, until he begins his public ministry at the baptism of John the Baptist. But even at John's baptism, they had sent and dispatched people to John asking him who he was. They were expecting the Christ. John was a sign to that generation. So whether it was the stars in the heavens, the magi coming into Jerusalem, uh, the, the chief priests and the scribes verifying uh, where Christ would be born through the prophetic scriptures, or whether it was Simeon taking up an eight-day-old Jesus in the temple and proclaiming him the light to the Gentiles, or Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, having the appearance of the archangel Gabriel all those years before, or the 12-year-old Jesus confounding the, the, the geniuses of his day with his understanding. They had seen and had had God already revealing to them at that level, at the religious elite level, plenty of signs marking that, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And so now we come back to Matthew 16, right? Let's go back to Matthew 16. I laid all that groundwork because, because it's important to understand and to understand our times. What are you talking about? Well, <laughs> we're awaiting the, the, the outpouring of the wrath of God that is yet to come. We think we've entered into those days. And there are many that have a contrary doctrine, right? That's what the Lord warned them about in Matthew 16, 12. He said, you beware of their doctrine because their doctrine of the understanding of the kingdom, the kingdom of God and how things were going to trans transpire uh, was completely contrary to the truth of the prophetic scriptures. They did not recognize the signs of the time. That's what Jesus hit them up with. They came asking him for a sign as if no sign had been, been given to that generation. That generation had been witnessing signs for, for some 30 years now, leading up to the appearance of the Messiah in his public ministry, right? And, and so when, when they come and ask him what he hits them up with is what he tells them is, is he calls them hypocrites, first of all. <laughs> he says, you're actors. And that you can't discern the face, you can discern the face of the sky. And otherwise, you're really good at, at, at natural things, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Brother Martin, so that's, yeah, go ahead, brother. I was just going to say, it was was very telling. We just read three examples of of, um, of signs that that they were given within, like you said, within from the birth of Jesus all the way. That's just the most recent ones. Obviously, we know that the Old Testament is full of, of prophecies oh, yeah. that the Messiah yeah. would come, right? But but, yeah. but but the point is here, it's it's amazing uh, that when you spoke about the Magi, here are, here are these people that come from thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away who knew they had read the writings of Daniel, right? Uh, yeah. There's a yeah. specific pro prophecy foretold by Daniel in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. I'm not going to read it, but... Just to paraphrase, it, it, what he speaks about there is about 
a coming Messiah that would come before the destruction of the temple. Very yes. clear. And yes. and and the and the rabbis they knew that it was speaking about the Messiah. We know that in in you know later on, uh, uh, many rabbis have tried to ignore it and say that it's not talking about the Messiah. But the the but they knew in the times of Jesus that it was talking about him. And it's yes. amazing that here he was right in front of them, but yet these magi's would come <laughs> and who had read the writings of Daniel. And it led them and brought them. That was to me. That's another sign, right? Like you, as we read it, it's another sign that even they knew who were thousands and thousands of miles away. So, you know, I just wanted to bring bring that up. That, uh, you know, they, you know, they had read the the, the prophecies of Daniel and they knew. Yes. What about no, what about point. these Pharisees? Yes. Right, and of course they knew, right? I mean, that's what Herod asked them when when they first you know search the scriptures he called for the chief priests they knew and they knew where he was going to be born they knew it was written in the prophecies where he would be born it's interesting that they didn't go to investigate themselves they sent the gentiles to go find him it's very much uh you know a, a smaller type of what would happen right uh the gentiles would, would recognize him first and worship him before the jews will but that's another thing. But what's interesting, what you're also quoting there and pointing out is that if, if we go back and look at that, you'll see how many times it mentions the star, the star, the star, right? It wasn't some, some you know, nebulous manifestation of some odd thing. He's actually identifying a particular star, which we ain't got time to get into, but we could one day search that out and, and look at it. The point is this, they identified the coming of the Messiah with celestial events they knew that what was taking place in the heavens was was a was a uh, was a harbinger of the coming of the messiah a warning that he was here he was coming or in their case they knew he had been born and it is one of the signs that had been been given over over multiple years uh, there are those if you actually take the uh, the programs and you can do this anyone out there you can go buy yourself a astronomical program uh, which charts the movements of, of the planetary bodies through the constellations in the heavens because they're fixed. And because they're fixed, you're able to take any date, any time uh, for thousands of years, input it into the software program, and it'll tell you exactly what was in the heavens at what particular time in whatever geographical location you choose at whatever date. And so when you go back and look at what it is that the Magi actually saw in the heavens, it was actually transpired over uh, about a three to three and a half, four year period. They began to be alerted, they began to pack, they began to get ready, they began to see the movements of particular stars and planetary bodies through the heavens coming into uh, coming to rest in a particular constellation, in their case, the constellation of Leo and the conjunction of planets uh, with with the star Regulus between the feet of Leo in the heavens. And we're not talking about astrology, we're talking about astronomy, which makes a lot of people nervous simply because they haven't done the research. But the truth of the matter is, is that God set the stars in the heavens and the constellations in the heavens, identifying the 12 tribes of Israel with each particular constellation in the heavens. There's 12 constellations in the heavens. And, and the ancients knew this. Uh, and and that's that's what they studied. So when you see things in the scriptures like what he said to Abraham, 
come out and tell the stars, right? If you can number them, so shall thy seed be. Uh, when Jacob refers to Judah as a crouching lion, or when he talks about Dan as a serpent, he's, he's, he's speaking concerning the constellations and how they were assigned to the particular tribes in heaven. And so they knew that the Messiah was going to be born uh, from the tribe of Judah. And so when they saw these particular celestial events occurring in the constellation of Leo up in the sky, what we call Leo, it's, it's the lion in the sky. They knew that a king was about to be born, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's when they set off. And it took them quite a journey. My point to saying all that is they had celestial heavenly events that triggered an understanding of the times they were living in. Subsequently, in our times, we have been witnessing incredible things take place in the heavens. In case you haven't been paying attention lately, <laughs> a lot of things have been happening over the last several decades that have been saying much to us if we have eyes to see. I go back to the one that I remember the most of all was 1996-97, the appearance of the Hale-Bopp Comet which stayed above the North American skies for about a year and a half. You could literally go out and see it. I don't know if you guys remember it. We've talked about it before. But, you know, when you do research on Hale-Bopp, the rabbis say that that comet had not appeared since the days just before the flood, the days of Noah. And when I read that back in 1996-97, I remember going, oh, my gosh, it's a sign in the heavens. So this this talk of, of signs when they come to Jesus and say, hey, you know, what's going on? It's the same today. You know, we've had the blood moons, we've had comets, we've had meteor showers, we've had unusual uh, uh, conjunctions of planetary bodies in particular places that we ain't got time to get into. And then just as recently as 2017, we had that uh, solar eclipse that again alerted our nation that something's coming, a complete solar eclipse that'll happen again, uh, coming up here pretty soon, right, in 2024, which is interesting. Uh, which, <laughs> which the the path of the solar eclipse that's going to take place in 2024 across the planet uh, will come to to cross the entirety of the North American continent from south to north, I think it is. And so we first had it from uh, west to east. It came in Washington, uh, Seattle, Washington. It crossed all the way across the country uh, back in 2017. I think it was August of 2017. It's going to appear again. In uh, in the summer of uh, I think it's the summer of uh, 2024. Only this time it's going to come up underneath the United States, like coming up from Texas up through the top, uh, through Illinois and all those places in there. And if you look at it, because I have a map here at the house that shows the 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 movement of the solar eclipses coming, it's really quite fascinating. But when it's completed, it will have completed the perfect picture of a cross across the United States of America. Why are you saying all this? Because just like in Jesus' first appearance, there were many and multiple signs that they did not recognize. So there have been many multiple signs taking place in our generation for the very kinds of situations we now find ourselves in. And, and <laughs> if you have eyes to see, right? He, he, he warned them, right? Because what he warned them about, which is very fascinating, what he told his disciples, he called it leaven. Could you read that, brother? Jeremy, in verse 6, what did he say about the Pharisees in verse uh, 6? Then, then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. 
Right. And 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 what he was referring to, because they they got all stupid, right? They started thinking he was talking about bread. They forgot to bring bread. <laughs> they read the verse seven. They thought he was talking about bread. <laughs> Can you read verse seven, Brad Jeremy? It says, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, "It is because we have taken no bread." And then read what Jesus said in verse eleven and twelve. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, "O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do ye not yet understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up. Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up. How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not?" to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And then verse 12 says, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of what? Of the doctrine yes. of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what was that doctrine? That doctrine was they were looking for an unearthly uh, Messiah to to institute the kingdom now. <laughs> they right. wanted a right. They wanted a kingdom now. They didn't understand what was actually happening here. And what he said was that inability to to correctly discern the signs of the times was a leaven that had affected their doctrine and their view. Right. Right. And, mm. And this is what doctrine. I'm sorry, Brother Marty. No, no, that, I was going to say this is what what is happening today. See, even though they yeah. asked for signs, yeah. signs had been being given, but their understanding of the signs. Jesus said, not just the signs, but the signs of the times. And this is very important when it comes to prophetic fulfillment and specifically understanding the generations that have experienced the outpouring of the wrath of God, which is what this generation Jesus was addressing was about to experience in just a short few years from this point. The times that you cannot discern is precisely because your understanding of prophetic scriptures is erroneous and incomplete. So that even though God is speaking to you in multiple ways, you can't discern it. And he tells the disciples, be careful of the leaven. Because what he's saying is that even a little bit of misunderstanding of the times, like leaven, it will infiltrate even that which you apparently seem to understand and corrupt it thoroughly. That's what leaven is. It corrupts. It inflates the bread, right? It's the additive that's, <laughs> that's that's put into the bread. It makes it rise. And so he was literally saying it's that same kind of idea. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so he <clears> says, beware, <throat> especially when prophetic things are being fulfilled. You guys were going to say something? This uh, no, ahead, kingdom brother. now, I, I just wanted to say, yeah, this kingdom now, uh, doctrine is very prevalent here in our in our you know in our midst today in this house right yes. 
and uh, you see very, you get an insight on, on their way of thinking. Uh, the disciples or the Pharisees, that's why he warns them. Jesus warns the disciples, careful, you know. And it was the same day, it was the same as in the days of Jeremiah, right? Did he want to, did he want to accept their captivity? You right. know, no, God is going to bring us out. And, and it's the same where, same, the same thing in the days of Jesus, as we're seeing. And it's, and it's the same day today. It's the same yeah. doctrine, way of thinking as, as it was there, it is today. And, and Brother Fernando, what were you going to say? <clears throat> no, I was going to say that um, you spoke earlier about the Jerusalem riots. Um, and, and they serve a they serve a purpose. But what we're seeing even in Portland, right, and and throughout the nation, it's it's symbolic of uh, what happened with Israel is taking place in our day. And yeah. we see that the Jews had <clears throat> some kind of a philosophy or idea that <clears throat> that the Davidic kingdom would be established uh, through political and uh, spiritual leadership means um but their complete rejection of christ brought about the destruction of the city of the nation right um so that's kind of yeah it's kind of where we're headed as a nation um yeah. so the parallels are there right that's a good that's a good point uh, that you both made the parallels are there you have the doctrine of the kingdom now which is what you were referencing there as far as uh, the spiritual and political being meshed together, because that's what the Pharisees were saying. That's what you were just saying, Brother Jeremy, about the kingdom now. And then uh, I'm glad you reminded us again about the parallels in 66 AD that ultimately led to the full destruction of of their influence in their kingdom. Uh, was it, it all started by way of riots. You know, when we experienced in 2020 at the beginning of the COVID out, outbreak, and it finally came to the United States, and, and then they began to totally change the way we do things. A whole new level of catalyst took us further, prophetically speaking, I believe, on, on Memorial Day weekend with the death of George Floyd, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it was from that death of that of that man, and, and you know, unnecessarily so, that an opportunity was created uh, for those that have, you know, uh, bad intentions to to hop mm -hmm. on the back of that, and we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen that stop since then, right? I mean, what have we been seeing in our city? Riots and and looting and burning, and, and it's the same thing that happened in Jerusalem in the days just prior to the destruction of of the capital city, and and uh, and the wrath of God being poured out, riots and rebellion. We're seeing the same pattern, like Brother Fernando was just saying, coupled with uh, a, a, a national religious elite that have absolutely no clue, to which, uh, like in Jesus' day, he turns to his disciples and says, be careful right now, especially right now, because they do not understand the signs of the times. You know, these are the times when prophecies are being fulfilled and they don't understand it. They can't see it. They can't discern it. And it's from that moment that we get to where we're headed to today in the next few minutes. And we're going to wrap this up really quick here. But 
But what does he do after everything we've been talking about? We want signs. They can't discern it. Beware of their doctrine. You know, this is all happening in front of our eyes today. Because, again, remember the premise we're talking about here. There are three outpourings of the wrath of God revealed in the scriptures. One was Nebuchadnezzar's time and the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. The second one was AD 70, which we're examining right now. But the two combined alert us in the end times what to look for and what to be cautious about. So now what does he do after verse 12? And and that's what we're going to look at. What does he do? And and Brother Jeremy, could you read that to us in chapter 16, verse 13 and 14? When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So what does this reveal, and how does it apply to our generation? What he begins to say to them is, who do men say that I am? And their response is anything but the correct answer. And, And really how this is a metaphor for our times is, it's a generation that truly doesn't know who the Lord really is. <laughs> it really doesn't know. Right. You know, right? The gospel hasn't been preached. And what's interesting is he alerts them to that. Who is who's everybody saying I am? You know, we have not really had the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to this generation. And I think we see a parallel there. Because it's after this whole event, this prophetic event, show us a sign, you can't discern the times, beware of their doctrine. And now he says, who do they say the Son of Man am? They give all kinds of answers, but they don't give the correct one. It's a generation that doesn't know the Lord, just like we don't know the Lord in our times and really in this nation. Only a very handful of people, a remnant. You know, and, and we're not talking about, you know, just a couple hundred. I mean, there's there's thousands and thousands of people who know the Lord Jesus. Is not what I'm saying. But by and large, in the public square and at the visible level, what you see for Jesus or what they call Jesus isn't Jesus at all. It's 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 another gospel. It's not the true gospel. They don't know. And, and he wants them to understand that because he's going to hit them between the eyes in the very next phrase, right? In verse 15. Can you read that? He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now, this is really important. It's important for many reasons because of what he's about to reveal. And where he's leading them is to something that totally blows their mind. Something that they're not able to to deal with. But he wants them to begin to ask themselves that question, who do you say that I am? And that is what he is about to ask us in this time, in this generation. This is what he's asking his church right now. Things aren't going the way that your your eschatology maybe has taught you, your understanding of end-time things. And the most important thing that he's going to begin to press upon us is is to truly search our hearts, our minds, our understandings to answer that question. Because how we answer that question is going to be the key, the anchor, the foundation that's going to bring us through these turbulent times that are just ahead of us. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Who am I really to you? 
and how deep does that go? And what we're going to learn here is that the depth of understanding who he is can only come by one way, and that is by the revelation of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Because that's what he goes on. Because Peter says what in verse 16, Brother Jeremy? He says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does he tell him? In verse 17. And Jesus Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Incredible. Because what we're getting an insight into here is what he's saying to our generation and to you listening to me and to everyone who has found ourselves in these prophetic times. We're going to have to have a revelation of who he really is. Everything that we think we believe is going to be challenged at multiple levels. Heck, on the other side, Jesus revealed in Matthew 24, Olivet Discourse, where he said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. In other parts of the scripture, he talks about a strong delusion that's coming at such a level, uh, you know, that that if, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. These are sobering statements that are made by the scriptures concerning the times that we find ourselves living in now. And, and the same pattern is unfolding. And like the master does. He begins to to take them right at the precise time that they need to have it in advance. Because remember, what he's about to reveal to them is he's headed to Calvary. That a cross experience is coming. That a Calvary is just ahead. And so he doesn't even get to that point yet. What he first starts saying, and this is after he's now had you know, he's now exposed the erroneous doctrine of the Pharisees, their inability to discern the signs of their own times. And what he's going to go on to prove here in a second is so even those that were most intimate with him really didn't understand what it was that was happening. But he's going to reveal it to them. But he begins before he gets to that point by causing them to reflect. Who do you say that I am? And God is asking us that question right now in advance. It's his grace. And then he reveals through Simon Barjona, through what Peter said, exactly the level that we're being taken to now. If you can see it, if you can understand what's being revealed here, he goes on and reveals to us that you're blessed, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. But my Father in heaven, it was as if the Lord was alerting them to the fact that we've entered a new level now. Yes, there are things that can be gained and knowledge that can be understood by by the simple means of natural natural occurrences or natural effort. But where we're headed, and I'm speaking very spiritually to you right now, where we're headed and where Jesus was revealing to that generation that would experience the second outpouring of the wrath, leaving one remaining, which generation we believe we are going to see this happen in our times and is happening right now. He takes them to the next level here. 
And he says that a blessing came upon him and that a new level had just been enacted by the Father. And it is it is the revelation of the knowledge of the will of God. But not Jesus as Jesus, but Jesus as the son of the living God. It was a next level revelation of who he is. Not simply to have a, a an ecstatic moment of spiritual ecstasy at the revelation of who Christ is, but precisely to add the necessary tool or component and quality of spirit that was going to strengthen them for the days ahead because of what he's just about to reveal to them is going to actually happen. That before there's a resurrection, and there is a resurrection coming, there is only one means by which it's going to happen. And and, and they, they're going to need to understand that. As a matter of fact, they're going to try and resist it. But what Jesus says that this kind of revelation is all about is what he then goes on to say in, in verse 18. It's big pictures type stuff. Read verse 18, would you, Brother Jeremy? And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the big picture. That's what this is all about. That's what we find ourselves going through right now. We are part of an ongoing fellowship and community of generations of believers that has brought us to these times now. The signs of our times are unfolding before us. Two have already occurred in the in the wrath outpoured in the times of, of Nebuchadnezzar, in the wrath outpoured in the times of A.D. 70 and Titus the Ro- and the Romans. And now we are approaching that final global state with that final wicked one that is yet to be revealed. But ahead of that, he's already preparing his disciples now like he did then. And and, and a new level of entry into the realm of the Spirit has begun by the Holy Spirit. A revelation of who Christ really is is going to be the chief and most necessary component, not only for us individually, but for for the guidance of our families, the responsibilities that we have in our communities of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, all of it is going to be necessary because what's what's really at stake here is the big picture. And what the big picture was being revealed here in, in that generation by the Lord to his, to his disciples was what this kind of revelation is going to do is bring about the ultimate destruction of the devil and his kingdom. The gates of hell are not going to prevail. That's what this is all about. It's coming down, and it can only come down when the fullness of the body of Christ has been brought in. But the body of Christ that understands the times that they live in and the prophetic events that are unfolding as it was in their time. And and what is massively necessary, it's not an option, man. We're going to need to know him as the son yes. of the living God. Amen. He's going to be revealed to his true church at the very deep level as God, as the son of God. And the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against it. That's the key. Because this is what it's all about. It's the eradication and the final and full destruction of the devil and his kingdom. 
we must grow and understand the big picture. Yes. And so <clears throat> then he says something really interesting. Read verse 20, would you, Brother Jeremy? Uh, verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. This is this is really interesting to me. It's it's almost a strange thing. It's very interesting because it was it was a prophetic time. And and, and I think what he was revealing there is that we need to be very, very careful now. All right, so what he says is is it's it's when he begins to say, Don't tell any don't tell any man that he was Jesus the Christ, he goes on in verse twenty one to say, from that time, he draws our attention specifically to that time when he tells them, well, two things really. Once we go into the into the to this increased level, this new paradigm, this new dimension of revelation is what he's revealed, right? You're not just some other guy. You're you're the son of God, the living God. This is something that was revealed by the Father, and the big picture of it is it's leading to the absolute destruction of the kingdom of darkness, the eradication of death, and the removal of the one who owns it or did, Satan himself. And it's it's from that that he goes on to say, don't tell anybody that I'm Jesus the Christ. And from that time, what does it say, Brother Jeremy, in verse 21? From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up again the third day. So it's it notice the progression here. This this revelation that we're talking about, who do you say that I am? He has begun the process to cause them to reflect on just what it is that they really think about who he really is. Nobody answered <laughs> except for Simon Peter. And when that happened, it opened something up in the spirit in, in their times as it's being opened now in our times. Because the same patterns being revealed and unfolded in our times only on a global scale. It's the final outpouring of the wrath of God that's just ahead of this world, this unbelieving, godless world. But his children are going to be required to understand some things. And it's going to require a level of understanding of who Jesus really is. That he's not just Yeshua, Savior, but he's Yeshua the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. And it's going to be the anchor for our soul. And when that is, is being revealed, he then shifts from moments of great ecstasy and, and, and incredible revelation to them pressing them and letting them know that it's from that time that he begins to show them that he's going to have to suffer and die, that there's a martyrdom ahead, there's a crucifixion ahead. 
but he'll be raised on the third day. The promise of the resurrection. A lot of three days in there, right? They found Jesus in the temple after three days, right? His mother and father. <laughs> Here the resurrection, he says, is on the third day. There's a resurrection coming soon. Amen. Now listen. This is something, right, that the disciples didn't want to hear. They resisted it. They didn't want to hear what was coming. It's like today. You start telling them the things that we're talking about here, most people, and those who hear with the Spirit are hearing what God is revealing, and and they'll resist it because it doesn't line up with their paradigm. It's not. It doesn't flow with what they've understood. That's why Peter, what's the next thing that he says in verse 22, Brother, brother Jeremy? He says, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This shall not be unto thee. This ain't going to happen. This can't happen. This must not happen. He, he attempts to change what is being revealed as if there was an option. And and Jesus says something in verse 23 that, that just astounds him. What does he say, brother? But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art, art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That's intense. And he goes on to say in verse 24 what? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. Buddy, <laughs> this is, wait a minute. We didn't sign up for this. See, you know, you're supposed to rapture us before any of this stuff happens, right? You know what are you talking about? Crosses and 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 and, and suffering and and what, what do you what? No, this ain't gonna be like this. It ain't gonna be like this. But Peter said, and Jesus said that kind of thinking in verse twenty three is satanic. Oh my goodness! See, now it took me this long to get to this point, and I need another three hours, right? So <laughs> because. <laughs> Really, because uh, because he goes on, you know, he says he says, what does he say about it? He says first, it's satanic in origin. It's 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 adversarial to the plan of God. See, we make a mistake in our spiritual walk simply because of, we're all in different places of 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 development uh, in the spirit, but we fail to understand. That life is not about events that affect me, myself, and I. That if I really am a child of the living God, then I line myself up with his perfect revealed will. And that his will is so far more expansive in scope and in implications. That's why in verse 18 he, he, he references the gates of hell. 
I mean, he's talking at such a huge level here. He's talking about the gates of hell not prevailing against the anchor of the soul, that Jesus is the son of the living God. And then after talking about the gates of hell, here in verse 23, he actually calls Peter himself Satan himself. And, and, and there, there's such an intricate revelation here, an insightful thought precisely up under prophetic times because that's the times they were living in. But the way to the resurrection and the new birth, because the resurrection was all about a new creation, was by way of the cross, which he was going to go through. But then he takes it even further and says, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There's only one way. And there's no other way. And to say there's another way is satanic. That's what he was telling Peter. So when we come to the end of time and what's been revealed in Scripture, there are many things that are unfolding. We've been talking about the captivity. We've been talking about, you know, uh, the falling away. We've been talking about uh, the persecution and the, and, the, and the tribulation that's ahead of us. To say anything other than that, is is satanic <laughs> why is it so satanic because it's adversarial to the revealed scripture of god and jesus says you're an offense to me those that's a strong word that's what he told it his, the, just moments ago he's being lauded as blessed now he's being called satanic we need to be careful <laughs> what we say and do and think but he says look what you're saying right now peter is an offense to me. And what that word offense literally means is it's it's a trap stick. It, it's that little stick that they put over a little box, right, where they catch something, right, like a little mouse or something. You, know, you put the cheese in there, he, he bites the cheese, and the stick falls down, and he's trapped. Hmm. He's saying the kind of thing that you're trying to prevent here, Peter, is actually a trap of the devil. That's what you've become to me. It's going to trap me if i follow your line of thinking because that's what he goes on to say is you don't savor the things which be of god the word savor is not literally means you're not of the same mind as god you're not thinking as god thinks you're thinking as men think and men are temporary god is eternal you're not seeing the big picture and if you don't see it you're not going to be able to endure and the beginning of being able to endure can only come when you're able to answer the question when I ask you, who do you say that I am? That I'm not just Jesus, but I'm Jesus the Christ. I'm Yeshua the Savior, but I'm also God. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to endure. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take it to the next level, he says. You really want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to crucify yourself to this world and the world to you. That's what Paul went on to say. Such thinking is not even remotely in the minds of the national public megachurches of our day, and especially those that are up under what we're experiencing now because they don't understand what it's leading to. And they're preaching a message contrary to what God is revealing is just ahead of us. And Jesus calls it satanic. And he warns them, right? He says, 
Notice what he said in verse 20. He charged his disciples that they should tell no man that, not that he was, that he was Jesus, Savior, but that he was Jesus the Christ. <laughs> in these times, who we reveal him as the Christ to, to whom we talk about these things, it, it is meant for his disciples, not for not for men, not for this world, not for compromised believers, because they'll turn on you. You're going to be marked. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's depth, man, because the revelation of Jesus as God, as the Son of God, it is the anchor of our soul, brothers. It is high-level understanding. This is what he, he, Jesus is talking about the gates of hell here. He's talking about hell. He's talking about dimensions of the realm of the real that we can't even see or discern. He takes them to that level. And he says, the anchor of your soul is the very thing that's going to bring it all down. The gates of hell won't be available to prevail. Anything contrary to the means by which that's coming about is satanic and becomes a trap. And it will ensnare you. It's higher level understanding. This is what is happening to us, man. Prophetic, uh, it, it's prophetic and, and part of the completion. You know, we've entered into this fellowship with them. We are the generation of the third outpouring of the final wrath of God. It's prophetic. But it's also the, the ongoing, uh, you know, pieces of every generation that were being assembled bringing about a completed will of God. When it's all said and done, the absolute destruction of the gates of hell and the devil are involved here, brother. <laughs> let's, let's close with this, all right? I know I'm, I've gotten way out there, right? But let's, let's close with this uh, and look at, at, at the resistance to this truth because we're, we're seeing the same thing today. Remember, right. as, the Lord, as the Lord came closer to Calvary, he first had to go to Gethsemane, mm -hmm. and it's right, and it's there that he led his disciples. It is where we are being led to now, if you can see it. And, it's and, crazy and we'll be, to say, brother Marty, because um, the same, <clears throat> the same make America great kind of philosophy, and all the Christians rallying behind these, you know, these right wing movements. Um, it was alive and well in, in Christ's day, but only that uh, the, the, the the Jews were looking for uh, this this earthly kingdom or a, 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 a earthly restoration of of Israel, and Jesus was promoting uh, a new kingdom, not of this world, and 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 his ministry was coming to a close when Peter comes to Jesus and. And, and literally tries to sidetrack them. Yes. Right. And and, yep. and 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 that's exactly what we're seeing today. Could it be that the church age, the church age is coming to a close? Jesus is coming, and we're being sidetracked from our Gethsemane. My God, mm -hmm. you're hearing exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly right, brother. That's absolutely sidetracked from our Gethsemane. Is what we've been talking about with Jeremiah. It, 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 the 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 yoke of iron was was God's people Gethsemane to be preserved to for God to deal with them, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and so so this <laughs> this is so deep. 
and I pray the people are listening to what, what what's being said here. But yes. that's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you being sidetracked from the Gethsemane that's ultimately going to save your life, purify yes. you, purge you? Uh, a resurrection is coming. Yeah. Right? Uh, Jesus yes. would die, but a resurrection would take place. Yeah. Right? Uh, we might we might go through that. I don't know, but there is a resurrection coming. Jesus is coming. Amen. Right? And this is this is and you're so right. And, and and we need to say how it is, brother, because this wisdom that's earthly is devilish in nature, is demonic in nature. This 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 gospel, so-called gospel, that's being preached by false prophets, is sidetracking God's people from ultimately knowing the Lord and going to their Gethsemane in a way, knowing the Lord in a way they've never known him before. Because we don't know him. We don't know him. This generation does not know him. That's Yeah, that's really good. And that's that's precisely what we were seeing, right, in verse 14. You know, who do men say that I am? Ah, you're John the Baptist. You're Jeremiah. You're Elijah. You're one of these. They don't know who he is. <laughs> Just like you said, brother. And and that's when he turned up the heat and, and talked to those who, who were a little more informed than them, right? Who do you say I am? Because where you're headed is going to require that revelation. Oh, man, God help us, man. God help us. We have no idea, brother. <laughs> we have no idea how much more we all need to grow. How much more we need to grow. You know, Jesus embodied the body of Christ like you said so well there, Brother Fernando, you know, it's this is earthly sensual wisdom. It's satanic in nature, and it's designed to destroy and entrap. Jesus represents us all in the end times. You know, he, he lived it first. That's why he went on to say, you're going to have to take up your cross. Well, there's a Gethsemane before that cross. That's where it's got to be settled, and that's where he led them. Like you said, what happened in Gethsemane, it really reveals where we're headed, like he said. And many things are revealed to us in Gethsemane. And, and if the Lord allows, we'll explore that tomorrow, uh, Lord willing. But but for today, let, let's just see what Peter did when they got to Gethsemane, because <laughs> uh, what Peter did is, is, is what I fear uh, or many are going to make the same mistake. And they are already making the same mistake. Uh, let, let, let's look at that, because <laughs> because what's revealed in Gethsemane is 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 what Jesus would say to the father right not my will but your will and what else do we have in Gethsemane going on Judas is going to be revealed there right he's a type of the antichrist the revelation of the antichrist is coming and also what happens in Gethsemane is is Peter resists let's take a look at that brother Jeremy would you in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, yes. Could you read to us uh, verse uh, 43 and 47? And we'll be closing here real, clo real quick here, and we'll pick it up again. Uh, just those two verses, or 43 to 47? 43 to 47, real quick, if you don't mind. Okay. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, 
and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while yet he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. See, this is this is the Gethsemane that we're that's just ahead of us. It's already begun. You know, we're making our way there. Uh, if you can see it, and 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 what 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 does he say? And it is a characteristic of that Gethsemane experience in verse forty-three. He talks about their eyes. Right, he found them asleep again, and their eyes are heavy. You know, that, that that's what's happening in our generation right now. That's what's happening all across America with the church. They're asleep and their eyes are heavy. They can't even seem to open their eyes and stay awake. A, a real spirit of slumber has come. A, a real oppression of the enemy has come. You know, Jesus' life was built on prayer and fellowship with his father. When it came to the most crucial moment uh, of, of the contest, the spiritual strength that he had dominated every fiber of his being. He was up under some incredible scrutiny, and so are we going to have to go through the same thing. But but here we see a foreshadow of many. You know, it, it, their eyes are heavy, and and <laughs> and they're asleep. So what else do we see happens here is is betrayal. There's division taking place, and we're going to see the same thing. Jesus warned us of that, right? He said, you know, uh, there'll be three. Uh, for me and two against me, a man's enemies will be those of his own house. There's betrayal coming. We see a foreshadow of that uh, when Judas shows up with with the church, right? <laughs> In verse 47, he shows up with the church. This is a foreshadow of Revelation 13, this false church. You know, of, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the falling away. They come with, they, they join forces with this this Judas-like figure that's yet to be revealed. This is where we're headed. This is what this is all about. And and it's in the garden that we're going to be pressed. You know, Judas is revealed there. Uh, you know, blindness or a heaviness of slumber is, is revealed there. Betrayal is, is revealed there. A false church is revealed there. Represented in verse 47 by a great multitude with swords and chief priests and the elders of the people, the, the ruling establishment. My God, that's scary. But how does Peter react? Read verse 49 through 51, would you, Brother Jeremy? uh, And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then, Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And verse 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. What was Peter trying to do in the very moment that he was supposed to be doing the opposite, which was go through this Gethsemane experience? What does he try to do? He takes his sword out and he tries to resist. He tries to fight against prophecy. And he ends up cutting off the, and we ain't got time to get into all that, cutting off the high priest's ear, 
servant's ear. But we are seeing the same thing today. Peters of today. You hear them today, right? I mean, they're, a young man got killed the other day in Portland. And he's young. I don't blame him. But there's a whole host in the, at the elite level of, of the church. He was wearing a hat that said uh, Patriot Prayer Warriors or something like that. You know, they've been encouraged by the, yeah. wow. right? And all, all this guy was doing was walking down the street. But they, but before that, they had been uh, taking their Trump flags, their American flags, and their crosses and all that stuff and, and, and going through downtown Portland in their big four-wheel drive trucks, uh, blowing their horns. They were taking up the sword, man. That's what they were doing at at precisely the moment that Gethsemane is upon us, this pressing, this 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 deep level of trying to seek and understand what's actually happening. You're looking at the at the rise of a Judas that's coming. Judas is coming. And you're looking at riots in the street, you're looking at all these components, all these signs. And 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 what we're what we're having are two camps emerge in the church. One that's understanding what's happening and they're and like they're doing what Jesus said, tell no man. <laughs> I'm Jesus the Christ, right? Don't 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 start revealing all this stuff. I'm telling you. It is for you. Don't tell anybody. And then there's the other side that's saying, Hey, let's let's uh, you know, resist and, and, and let's let's fight against this thing. Because that's the American thing to do, like Brother Fernando said yesterday. That, that that that's that's the supposed patriotic thing to do. Peter took out a sword. But what did the Lord tell him about that in verse 52 through 54, Brother Jeremy? It says, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that this, that thus it must be? My Lord, put up your sword. That's what we were talking about in the first captivity, right? So don't resist this. This is the hand of God. This is deep level stuff. This is far beyond the scope of your natural thinking. This is something that is going to require that the Father himself by the Holy Spirit reveal to you that I am the Son of God. This planet belongs to me. And the contest that you're involved in, it has its origins in the eternal past. And you're going to understand and need to understand the scriptures. Put away your sword. And then, and then he says this, and he takes them back after he says, put up your sword, and tries to re-anchor his thinking, right? By saying, don't you understand or don't you think that I could actually ask the Father right now in verse 53? He'll give me more twelve, more than 12 legion of angels. He could send 72,000 angels right now, he said, if I asked him for it. Brother, <laughs> it only took one angel to kill 186,000 Assyrians. In one night, one angel, 186,000 dudes. Jesus is saying, man, I could ask for 72,000 angels. Mm. He's trying to say, look, there is a will of God at work here, and it involves 
the destruction of Satan himself. That's what we're witnessing right now. See, the Antichrist, his system, in the, in the coming years ahead, what we're, what's being predicted to us is that there will be a final 42-month period on this earth that's just ahead of us. I'm not setting dates. I'm just saying the prophetic scriptures are leading us that way. But we're being prepared. We're already seeing it happen. We've seen the signs that the Sadducees and the Pharisees were asking for. They saw in their generation. Both Gentile and Jew saw those signs. We're seeing the same thing happen again. And what's being revealed, like it was revealed in the captivity, like it was revealed in AD 70 for the church to get out of town because destruction was coming upon the holy city, what is being revealed now to the church around the world is one final act is yet to be played out. And we have already seen the flip, the flipping of the switch, and it's begun. And if you choose to take out your sword and try and resist this, you're going to die by the sword. That's what Jesus told him. But understand, you have the option. You could call down all this, like Jesus said. I mean, I could call down all kinds of stuff, but that's, 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 that's precisely what is not supposed to happen. And he ties it in verse 40, uh, 54. So what, Brother Jeremy? Read verse 54. It says, but how then? Shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? For it to be any other way would break the established will of God and the scriptures that have already been recorded. This is such a deep thing to understand, uh, which we could talk about at length, but it is written. It has been written before the foundation of the world that it would all play out this way. And what we are experiencing right now is the very same thing. This is key. The scriptures must be fulfilled. This is depth of the will of God. We must understand. These are prophetic times. We must understand this. It is vital that we, we see the will of the Lord and understand the big picture. That's what Jesus was saying. This is eternal. And, 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 and we need to see. And unfortunately, what we have in the majority of situations right now is that many are asleep and many have their eyes very, very heavy. But what's just ahead of us is great, great turmoil and a revelation of a Judas-like figure that's coming to whom a false church will attach itself. And ultimately, it will turn upon those that they keep the commandments of the Lord and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But there is an elect and there is a resurrection coming, right? There is, there is a new birth coming. And we're going to have to anchor it to the absolute conviction that Jesus is the son of the living God and that he's soon to return. And that God is unfolding before us in the scriptures. We've been taking you to the scriptures this last hour and 30 minutes and showing you once again because what we're describing here is what happened in the generation that experienced the second outpouring of his wrath. And you take the two generations that experienced at the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the time of, of, of Rome here, and, and we're beginning to see that, that there's another generation which is revealed that will have the final outpouring of the wrath of God at the end of time. It is quite possible when you line up all these scriptures, we are that generation. I know it, absolutely, without a a doubt. And what we are learning from the Lord here is the necessary components that we must have 
active and alive so that we know how to govern ourselves within all of it. The Lord is coming soon, and those who can see and hear, they know this. Let us be wise in these times. We don't mean to scare you, but to give you hope. This world is not a home, man. And like Brother Fernando said, we have to say what the scriptures are apparently revealing here. And in case you've never heard anything like this, well, I really, really pray for you. Because wherever you've been in church lately, or over the last several years, you 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 haven't been anywhere that's been teaching you the gospel because we're preaching the gospel to you. He he told them, on the third day I will rise again. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. We've already been two thousand years since uh, the the first coming of the Lord. We have entered into the third day, brothers and sisters. A resurrection is just ahead of us. But we're going to need to fasten our seatbelt. We're going to need to grow up quickly. And we're going to be able to say, just like Peter said that day, because this confession, thou art thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It's that faith that no matter what hell throws at us in the coming days, it will not be able to prevail against the faith and the anchor of our souls. Our Lord is coming. That is our hope. That is our faith. That is our destiny. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. We pray that you have uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that will humble itself to the word of God. And uh, we pray that you've been blessed as as we have discussed these things today and, and continually seeing what the word of God, what Jesus himself said. And so let us be ready. As Brother Marty said, let us stay ready. Jesus is coming again very soon. We look forward to having you tomorrow, Wednesday, Lord willing, as we continue to study the Word of God this week. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. And as always, keep looking up.